Got nothing. Yeah, no jokes. You got no jokes, huh? One of those one of those kind of one of those kind of podcasts, man. Not a whole what? lot of not a not a lot to joke. There he is. <laughs> there he is. Wait, what are we talking about? Do you guys want me to tell the joke? Well, not while I'm recording. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin states in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, January the 25th. Uh, been, a, been a little bit of a week, uh, been of a, a weird week for the Cavaliers uh, on the football side, losing Marcus Hagans to Penn State. Basketball side won a um, kind of a gritty, if a 19-point uh, advantage that you lose and then you win the game still can be called gritty. I guess it was gritty, but nice to to get another victory and go into what you know kind of amounts to their bye week um, on a win streak. So we will talk about these things in that order as you might expect. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First in Fishersville, uh, board moderator du jour David Smith is on the show. How's it going, my friend? Pretty good. Just driving back and forth, short distances. Really busy day. Who days on the board at Who days on Twitter? Jesus, and uh, in Charlottesville, editor and chief Justin Ferber is also on the program. How's it going, my dude? Not too bad. Um, I don't know what Dave's talking about, but yeah, me you know, maybe you guys will fill me in sometime. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, and Cavs Corner also on Twitter still. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates of content and the occasional witty banter. Also, uh, listen, there's a chance that you know. The Cavs corner, you know, we could have an a Mastodon or a, a post account. You know, we'll see. Um, I had some folks reach out this week about Mastodon. Um, we're we're investigating. I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of sense uh, just because of the way Mastodon works. And if you have no idea what Mastodon is, don't don't worry about it. All right. So, I mean, listen, we're we're gonna try to have. Um, I mean, as frank a discussion as you can have in front of people, um, you know, Marcus Hagan's uh, Ferber, I, I think, said this best. He was an institution and, um, you know, quite honestly, one of the, you know, not only a great player and a great coach and a great person, but y- you just get all those all three of those in one package is, is very rare. But it's also his family, his wife and the kids and, the, you know, he was all, he was across three different head coaches, which is not necessarily unheard of, but it's also not exactly normal. Like to go from one to the other is is one thing, but to go for three was impressive. Um, Penn State comes and 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 uh, offers him a a job. He accepts it. And he's in Happy Valley, and you know, judging from uh, the tweet he put out this morning, he's pretty happy with his decision. We can talk about this from a number of fronts, Dave, um, and I think we should. Um, I, I think the the first question, and I like to start here, is like how what, what how we feeling? And I'm gonna guess that this was an incredibly tough thing for you because I mean it was tough for me. I'm sure it was tough for Ferber too. Um, it's been what a couple days now. How you feeling? 
I mean, it still sucks, right? I mean, Hagen's was the constant that kind of, you know, Virginia's had turmoil, you know, whether even in with coaches who've had success, like, you know, that success ended quickly and, you know, and the grow era, London era, like, um, you know, was short lived. And then Bronco seemed to be building something that was gone, but the one constant, um, you know, Hagen's was our baseball, right. <laughs> it was always there. Um, and you know, it wasn't, look, we, we all have talked in the past, like, you know, if Higgins really wants to advance his career, can he just stay at Virginia as a wide receiver coach forever? Um, and he's had opportunities in the past and, he, you know, he had opportunities before he chose to stay on with, with coach Elliott. Um, you know, you can argue if they're as good as the one he has now or not, but they were an opportunity with, you know, you know, if, if he was going to make the move to do it between coaches and he chose to stay and obviously, um, you know, things didn't end this year. You know, the season itself didn't go well and a terrible end to it that greatly affected the young men, you know, that involved young men he was very close to, um, especially Lavelle. And, like, I mean, 100 reasons why he left, but none of them, they all suck, right? You know, if he's if he left because he's devastated by what happened to his guys, then, you know, that, that will never not be terrible. Um you know, you know, if you left for other reasons, that's not good either. Um, but the bottom line is he's not here, you know, and in fact, you know, into January and it leaves a big hole, you know, to be filled. Like, And you combine the loss of, you know, you have Hagen's leaving with 2J leaving not, not too long ago. Um, that's a lot of turnover in the offense side of the ball that, that had issues last year if you just want to think about it from a football's perspective. And I don't think with a guy like Marcus Higgins, you can just talk about it from a football because he was a bigger part of UVA than a football coach. Yeah. Ferber, I think that's a good point, right? Like if, and this is no shade at any of of the guys I might mention here in a second, but if, you know, Gaither or so-and-so maybe up to Rosinski, right? If Rudd's left, it'd be a little different, but basically a lot of the assistant coaches that are, you know, still relatively new, you know, that would be one thing, right? Oh, you know, he's going to coach with so-and-so, or he's going to take this blah, 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 right? I mean, even 2J leaving is different. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going. Even 2J is different because, you know, there's a there's that connection with Anai, despite, you know, some of the, con- you know, some of us, myself, I'm going to be, you know, raise my hand in this group. I just, I don't get it. I, I still, I, I try to wrap my head around it, and I just don't get it. I, I mean, I understand, like, oh, go somewhere else, get some money, you know, okay, fine, cool, but, like, anyway. Um, this one's different. It's just, it just is. And today's point there, there's so much here. And I feel like I try my best not to do this very often, but like a public service announcement, like try to have a little bit of nuance when you're talking about this, because at today's point, like this is not just a, you know, even if you looked at it from just a football thing, it's a bad thing, right? There's a lot more that goes into this and it doesn't mean that it's not still really bad. It just means that you're like actually dealing with a totality of circumstances, right? Like one of the kids that he was closest to that his family was the closest to was murdered, you know? And, and he talked in that piece on ESPN, I think it was that about, you know, having to tell his kids about that. And I can totally see as a parent wanting to have like a fresh start and such and such, but like, even if you take that piece away and you only focus on the football side or you only focus on like his career side, it's, it's bad in every direction. But at the end of the day, I don't think anybody is like saying like, um, is nobody's going to blame him 
right, for making this decision for him, for his family, for his career, what have you, whatever his reasonings were, um, what I saw Ferber was like universal praise and just absolutely just people, you know, like you very rarely ever see somebody who is just that universally loved, right? Even people that are well liked, you know, like maybe Tony Bennett is like the only other dude, right? Who's like right there at the top where like you, you just not going to find a, sim- a single person to say anything bad about him. Um, how has this sort of sat with you in the days since the announcement and things became official? I mean, I think there's a lot of different things here that you kind of have to like separate into their own boxes, even though they're all related. Like you mentioned the, the tragedy that took place, like, you know, as far as like how, what kind of factor that was in this, like, you know, that's only one, there's only one person that can really speak to that. Um, and then like, there's the piece where it's like, this is also like a good move for his career, regardless of what it means for UVA. I think just because, um, for a few reasons, one, I think like he's going to like one of the most visible football factories. There is a program that, you know, has been very good lately. Um, they won the Rose bowl a few weeks ago. Um, they are one of the pre, you know, like they're one of the premier football programs on the East coast. Um, he's going to get exposure to, I mean, I know not everybody likes James Franklin, but he's a good coach. Um, you know, and then he gets to, I'm sure like he'll have an impact in the state of Virginia recruiting for, for them. And, you know, I think it's a good move for him all like in the long run to like go do something else. Um, and then eventually maybe something else after that. And then eventually maybe he's ready for like the next thing or the next step in his career. And ultimately that's a good thing. Having said all that, I mean, he has been here through three different head coaches. He's seen a lot of lows. I mean, obviously nothing like what happened a few months ago, but, um, you know, in the, from a football sense, he's been, he's stuck around through some lean times, some coaching changes. Um, and I think not enough gets talked about like his actual development as a coach, right? Cause he started here, what is like a GA. Right. And then he, and then he became a position coach, like. And and we really, I mean, everybody liked him, but there was no reason to believe he was going to become like some excellent coach. You know, he just, it was like they were giving a guy a shot almost. And he went from that to like, eventually the receiver room was one of the best position groups or the best position group they had. Um, and ultimately, you know, last year wasn't great, but I don't think that's a reflection on him so much. Um, anyway, like, I, I think that it's a good move for his career, but then ultimately it's bad for UVA. I, I tweeted it afterwards like after he officially left that you know you can go out and hire like a really qualified coach and like hopefully they do that but you're not replacing him like you know what i mean like you can't because of because just because of like what he means to the program and all of that stuff and i mean you've seen that at other programs too like there are guys like this that you know they mean a lot to the guys in the locker room they mean a lot to the people around the university they mean a lot and, and in his case to in the state you know like he has a good reputation so um and he's a constant, you know, whereas like coaches, head coaches have kind of come and gone. But, you know, I, I think it's good for him, regardless of why it's happening. Like, ultimately, I think it'll be a good thing for him. It's a bad thing for UVA. Like, I mean, they can go out and get a really good coach. But um, I think what Marcus brought to the UVA football community was bigger than the coaching piece. And I think, too, and I, and I don't want to lose sight of Devin in this because obviously he was a, a part of that wide receiver room, too. So much. I mean, obviously, the 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 level of, um, you know, I think for 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 the Hagens is Tyler was like basically family. You know, I mean, a lot of these kids are even the non, you know, 
wide receiver kids, right? But he he him especially so. Um, I, I want to take a step back from that piece of it and kind of look at it from like the football perspective. And look, I mean, we're, we're we try our best on this show to not be like reactionary and like I, even though we joked the other week about how like you know everybody is in, on some level is a creature or excuse me a prisoner of the moment. Um, we you know we are creatures of habit. Um, and we try really hard for a habit on the show to be that we don't like lose our minds about stuff unless it's like warranted. Listen, I'm going to be real with you. This is a bad beat. Like this is bad. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that there's no, there's no, there's no scenario where the staff finds a new wide receiver coach or figures out a staff addition and whatnot. And then the, and then for some reason the wide receiver room isn't, you know, pretty good, whatever that position produces this fall. I'm not saying that that can't happen. All I'm saying is, is that to lose this specific coach at this specific time, given these specific situations and parameters and circumstances, it is a bad, bad development. And we've talked a lot, right, over the last few months about how weird it is that to see a first-year head coach and have fans have so much angst about that coach, about everything. This is like, just, it just stacks, you know, it just stacks up. And after everything that happened on the field uh, and, and some of the stuff off of it, not necessarily dealing with the tragedy um, from November, but all the stuff that happened on the field and off the field related to this, to the program. I mean, it's, you put this on top of it and it, it's, it has a vibe of like, insurmountability right it has a vibe of like man it's going to take a lot to really get people to to buy in again because the reality is there were a lot of folks who hadn't bought in from the start right because by the time they actually started playing football some folks were already out and we've talked it before about how like weird that is because that's just not like that's just not the way this works and we all we all know that like virginia's transition through bronco and winnie um decided to quit and everything like because of where the program was because of where guys were like it would probably take some time for Tony to get his dudes in there you know have like a couple of seasons a couple you know recruiting cycles where the guys who were there are for him the guys who came there were looking to play in that scheme and those systems what have you man this feels this feels like a um I, I mean I don't like to use the word game changer often I'm assuming that is one word, right? Is it two words? Anyway, I don't like to use that often, but man, it, this feels like that. Like this has a distinct feeling of a seismic sort of moment that we're going to look back on as like a lamppost in the story of something. Now, again, you don't know what the what the fall holds. Certainly looks like the schedule's rough. Certainly doesn't look on paper like you would expect Virginia's going to have a super, super duper successful season simply because of all the losses, simply because of sort of the trajectory of things. And obviously, you know, they got to replace the most important position on the field and stuff. They can't like defense their way to points. I mean, unless the, you know, unless the defense is going to start running pick sixes and such, right? Dave, this feels like it feels bad enough, but like when you look at it in the whole spectrum of things, it looks even worse. Like this is a really, really difficult thing for, I think, for the program to to bounce back from, regardless. I mean, 
you know, again, they might hire a great receivers coach and that person might do a great job with the room. And I'm not saying that that's not possible. I'm just saying that like to have this specific coach leave at this specific time, given these specific situations, you know, circumstances is it's a tough beat on them on a, on a pretty substantial level. Yeah. I mean, you know, just strictly speaking from a football's perspective, you know, UVA schedules next, next year is not easy. Um, you know, we've talked about it briefly in the past, but you know, Right now, with the roster as it is, barring some miraculous, you know, grad transfer or transfer additions between now and and the game against Tennessee and Nashville, um, and barring some you know drastic roster developments elsewhere, it's safe to say Virginia probably won't be favored in more than two games next year, um, and that might be, you know, if those games were at home, I'm not sure it would wouldn't just be one. Um, so it's going to be a tough road to hoe. So like this is the thing with the, with the Hagans and the 2J piece, right? I don't know that individually either one of them leaving greatly affects what UVA's final record is next year. Um, and that's just, you know, not to be to belittle any of their achievements, um, but where the offense is, you know, what's returning, um, you're basically redoing the line almost again. Um, and now you're doing it with a new coach and, you know, the wide receiver room was going to be in, you know, kind of re getting rebuilt as well, even though you've got some returning pieces just because of all that you lost between the tragedy and graduation and the NFL and all that other stuff. Um, so, you know, when your offense is bad and you lose two of the coaches in a very short time span you're going to be bringing in guys that most likely have never worked with this staff before because tony hasn't worked with anyone outside of clemson so can they get together put together an offensive scheme that can be taught in about i think six weeks spring uh spring practice starts um right now we don't have a wide receiver coach you know so and the offensive line coaches probably hasn't even gotten his cable turned on yet like that's how soon it's been um, can they get that all done in six weeks? So the spring is they can achieve something to make the team better going into fall camp. I don't know. It's, it's tough. And, you know, the thing is, you know, as a fan, you know, talking as a fan about the team, the thing that's most disappointing to me, um, is, you know, this staff, if they've done as a whole, you know, since Elliot came in, they haven't done a great job using social media to their advantage. I mean, I think that's probably a very nice way of putting it. You know, 2J was the one guy who kind of did. Hagen's didn't need to. We knew him, so just seeing him every now and then kind of made you feel like, oh, okay, yeah, I know that guy. He's done – he's a UVA. He, he understands. Um, great. So on the offensive side of the ball, you're placing both of those guys who were kind of your conduits. And now, you know, if you think about it, I was thinking about it on the way home tonight. Obviously, you know, you can't separate what happened at the end of the year with a normal year, but you know, it's January. And if I'm, and I'm not mistaken, we've heard from Tony Elliott twice since the Pittsburgh game, right? Post game against Pittsburgh and then the signing day thing. And then obviously you had the press conference with Carl after the tragedy, but those are the last two times we've heard anything from him. And then Tujay, you know, who was the kind of the guy who was active on Twitter to kind of get UVA fans fired up. He's gone. So, it, you know, there's this void there. 
and it kind of creates this like you can say it means nothing because it really doesn't it's not going to affect wins and losses but it certainly affects like how the fans feel about the program and you know even now like even with those two guys you know Hagan's obviously he just left but Tuesday's been going for a while and there doesn't seem anyone to be kind of making an effort to backfill that void um yeah to kind of help um kind of get fan you know fans on their side so and it, you know as a as a virginia guy you know my whole life it makes <laughs> it makes you question whether that you know and this it's, say i'm wrong all you want but it makes you question like do they really care because yeah. yeah, you know I you're you. you're not virginia guys you can say bronco wasn't virginia guys either but he kept hagan's and they stayed involved they stayed active uh they made you I feel mean, like they really wanted to build this thing right yeah and i don't and- get that sense what where I was gonna where I was thinking as you were talking was you know when Bronco came, obviously they had a very different situation because they had so many coaches who had never coached on this coast, and they and they turned to Hagen's as like their um their tour guide so to speak right and they talked about him like sort of being like the mayor, um or the the governor you know and like he would go places and take them places and like everybody would talk about how great he was, and Bronco I think did do a really um genuine job at first of trying his best to sort of get a sense of like well what is this place that I'm going to right and I think Biscuit was a huge part of that um I don't think Tony needed to do that per se but it's also striking to me just how quickly I mean listen on some level if we're being real all coaches are insulated somewhat paranoid um control freaks right it's just a nature of the business all right it's really difficult to not be one if not all of those things right um and so what ends up happening is is they they sort of close ranks you know um when stuff gets tough you know you you know they they kind of rally around each other but they keep the circle small and there's not a whole lot out there what has been especially striking me Ferber, has been today's point that one they have not they have tried to use social, but in a different way. Like instead of like being personable, right? They they have their own like video department that cranks out like like they have their own video folks who crank out specifically football videos, right? And a lot of that stuff is specifically for social. And I and I get that, and I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. But what's weird is like how detached that feels from everything else. And it's hard to really argue when Dave says like, as you know, like it, that it feels like that they, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go as far like he, you know, I don't think Dave did either to say that they don't, but it certainly feels that way that like, they don't think that that's important. The bottom line is, is that like, you can get into your, into the weeds about like whether that impacts people coming to games, and stuff, but what it does impact is perception and perception right now is in the, in the toilet, Right. Because you you had such a tough year, there was already the contrast for the offense, and this is an offensive-minded coach, and then you didn't have like all of the recruiting wins that you would have liked to have had. You went for a month without an offensive line coach, and you lost at least one really good offensive line transfer, specifically because you didn't have anybody in the in the seat to sort of give him some direction before it became too late, right? And now you're going to go into the next, you know, few weeks before traditional signing day, you're probably not going to add much if anybody, right? There's that that whole potential that's lost. There's also the piece of, you know, you're trying to get ready for spring ball. 
whoever is this, whoever, unless it's like Mims or somebody they've moved into that position who's already like internal, like you're, you've lost momentum. And this is like, we talked about this before, right? The idea, like if you're, you watch swimming and they show you like some ghost person's world record swim. And so you can see the guy certain like little bits by little bit, falling behind, falling behind, falling behind. Like every single one of these things, they get further and further back from where they needed to already be, especially considering the season they're about to have, right? You're changing quarterbacks. You're going to have to rebuild the offensive line. You know that there are just a lot of question marks in the wide receiver room. Granted, they've got some running back depth, but man, there's not a whole lot going on on that offense to be excited about. And for fans right now, they were already in the Missouri state of mind, right? It's a, it, it's a really, I, I don't want to use, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound like um, inflammatory. It's a dire situation in, from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a lot to respond to. Um, so I think there's a lot there. I mean, I think Dave kind of covered the social media part of it. I think that's important. Um, I think you can get away with that. And, and it kind of goes where I think I'm going with this. Like you can get away with that when you're riding Trevor Lawrence to the playoff. Um, like, you know, people will be okay if you don't tweet so much, you know, the on-field product is your, how you're judged. Right. And that other stuff starts to become more annoying when the on-field product isn't good. When you're winning games, nobody cares. Does, does, what's Tony Bennett's favorite, your favorite Tony Bennett tweet? Like he doesn't have a Twitter account because he doesn't need it. That's not authentic to who he is. And he just kind of can roll with the punches because he wins basketball games. Um, ultimately, like, all right. So with, with Hagen's and 2J's departures, neither of them left for a bad job. That's fair. But they agreed to, to stay on this staff a year ago with this new coach that they clearly bought into. They'd rather stay than not stay, right? You can boil it down to that. They would rather be at UVA than go wherever else they could have gone. And I know that both of them could have gotten jobs elsewhere. A year later, they decided they'd rather be somewhere else. Now, you can get into, like, is Penn State receiver job a better job than the UVA job? Perhaps. Um, I mean, for somebody like Marcus Higgins, there's other things that factor into that, including all the stuff we talked about and the fact that he played here. So, like, this is home. Um, he decided he'd rather be somewhere else. You know, we can get into like all the reasons why, whatever, but I think that says something, right? Like you got to start to wonder, like, even if there's like money and other things involved, it's like, it doesn't exactly feel like there's a lot of momentum here after what happened last year on the field. Like I can't blame them for thinking maybe they should try something else after one year of this, after one year of being like, hell yeah, I'll stay around for this. Like, I think, you know, I can be part of this. Um, I don't, this, since this staff started and, and a year ago or so before the football was played, we were kind of all like, why are people so like negative right now? Like, and I think some of that was true. Like, I think people were a little bit overly critical of like little things when they hadn't seen anything yet. But since we started to see stuff, you know, I think that stuff is sort of more amplified because really in the last six months, what point me to the positives, any positives. We like long podcasts. That would be a short one. Yeah. I mean, like, like, like John Radzinski and the defensive staff have done a fantastic job. I mean, I think, look, not to hijack the, the question here. 
it's it is it's 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 actually it proves your point the fact that the only thing people can say is on the defensive side of the ball, right? Because if you look at the whole totality of the program, right, everything seems like just two clicks off in a weird sort of way, right? You had a record setting quarterback that came back. Systems didn't match great. You were the one who designed the system. Uh, you had a, a stout wide receiver room, and you couldn't necessarily seem to get him going. You had to rebuild the offensive line, and yet they didn't turn out to be the problem for most of the season. You're an offensive-minded coach with a whole bunch of guys who you know you chose to run your offense, and a lot of the pieces that you needed to run it with, you knew about when you took the job. He talked about you know that getting Brennan to come back was like you know his his biggest recruiting win. And then through the season, I think that's the hardest thing is that like through the season, for me at least, like through the season, you just did not see them having any idea how to get the wheels back on the bus, you know? On offense. Yeah, on offense, yeah. right. So the only thing they you were can completely, say, completely lost. Completely yeah. lost. I mean, like I they think, weren't even close to a functional offense. I think it's except really for like a little bit of the North Carolina game, they were okay. So, like, yeah, I think you've got to. I mean, I'm sure people have done this, but if you just think about the offense, so you've got like what you said is true, Justin, like these guys chose to stay with Elliot last year when he was a new coach and they didn't know anything. So did a lot of players, you know, exactly. outside the offensive line. But look, you can say, hey, Hagan's left. That sucks. 2J left. Well, maybe he just wanted to be with Dr. Bob, job security, whatever. Um, but let's not forget that every player on this roster could be back this year. And the defensive guys seem to be the ones who took advantage of the extra year. Billy Kemp is going to be at Nebraska. Brennan Armstrong is going to be at NC State. Logan Taylor is going to be at Boston College. John Paul Flores is going to be somewhere else. All those are offensive guys. John Paul Why? Flores is going to Louisville, so we'll see him. Okay. Too. Oh, yeah, Louisville. Um, <laughs> like almost everyone that transferred out was an offensive player. So they left. Their coaches left. You know, KT could come back. You know, um, you know, Wick's probably going to go pro either way. But, I mean, would you, either one of you guys be shocked to hear that KT and Wicks decided not to do the hula bowl and they show up at Penn State? <laughs> well, until you literally just said that, I had not considered that that could be a possibility. I mean, I, I don't th think that's going to happen. But... I don't, but would it shock yeah. you? No. And I don't think the answer is no. So that points to a much bigger problem than, hey, these coaches just wanted to leave. The And that's the side of the ball. Like, look, I mean, I, I'm just trying – I'm not – you know, trying to speculate because we're not in the locker room, but the evidence is there. And, and the question is why, if you, you know, if Tony Elliott is this offensive guy and Des Kitchings was his appointed offensive coordinator, why is anyone bailing? And it's like, okay, that's fine. Like you can have like Mel Tucker first year, Michigan state. They had a lot of guys leave different roster, different situation with the coaching change too. But he got guys in there that won. Like Kenneth Walker came in and they won a bunch of games, right? Last year, not so much. So my my follow-up to that, Dave, is basically like, okay, like you've sort of, and I don't like the words ran off because I think people make it seem like that yeah. was like intentionally done. Yeah. But they're gone. Now you got to win it with your dudes. Your dudes are the guys that stayed and decided they wanted to continue on here. Cause I would say, you know, like they're, they're his dudes now and anybody who has signed on, if they win games, nobody's going to remember this podcast, right? Like if they don't, 
nobody's going to remember Tony Elliott. <laughs> like, period. Sad, but true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, and I think, you know, we're going to have to see how this thing plays out. He's going to get time. But everything that I have seen in the last, I, and I'm not including the tragedy in this at all. This is, I'm not, I, this has nothing to do with that, right? That's not in anybody's control. Um, and I don't have any issues with how that was handled from what I know. Um, anyway, from a football standpoint, from a running the program standpoint, everything that I've seen, except for kind of like how the defense has worked has pointed me in one direction. I'm not a meteorologist, but I think I know which way the wind's blowing. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that hard to figure out, like things are trending in a bad direction. Um, I think it's safe to say though, right now that they have to have, I mean, you, I'm, I actually want to get you guys to react to this. Mm-hmm. I think they have to have on the offensive side of the ball this sort of like immediate, clear, and consistent moving of the needle on the offensive side that they had on the defensive side with Ruds last year. Because they can't be this bad on offense again. Well, like they no, just no. Can't. I guess like, my bigger point is that it's right not just that they have to, I don't think they just have to be like even like mediocre i feel like they have to be consistently like i feel like that is the task right now all of the stuff around things all of the stuff around is like all it's doing is taking money out of the account right they have to do something on the field to put money back in right because at this point all that stuff all the swirl is like it 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 is it is taking too much out and it's just a net negative and you're gonna have to do so much coaching up on the off. I mean, I I genuinely think that it, even if even if the team is bad, they're gonna have to put a lot on the field just to prove that they should still stay there. Like I really do think that that is where a lot of people are, and we know how slippery the slope is with people who have who write the checks, right? Like that slope is not you, you can't stand there on that edge very long. And I understand the the you know the numbers and stuff, and Lord knows, you know there have been coaches who hung around. Too long because of numbers, right? I get that. I'm just saying that, like, this thing is different. And I, like I said, I've never seen a sta- never seen a new coach and, and his new staff under as much of a microscope as this one was as quickly as they were well before the first game even kicked off, let alone what happened thereafter in the, in the games subsequently, right? I think they got to have a substantial movement of moving of the needle. Dave, what do you think? Do you, do you think that in order for, I don't, I'm not just even just to change the narrative or change the trajectory. I'm talking about like to change the, like to change, right? Like I feel like they've got to be significantly better on offense and it has to be a very much prove it sort of situation. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, last year was terrible. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't see any way they can be better on offense. And this is no, I like Tony Musket. I think he's got a lot of potential. I think Jay Wolfuck does, but I don't think Jay's going to be the starting quarterback because he's going to play baseball. Um, But the truth is like the offensive line might be worse than last year right now. Um, You know, you've got some guys coming back with some experience, but you also got guys that could have been back with experience who aren't there and you're not adding a ton. You know, you've got Ugana, um, assuming that's how you pronounce it from Houston, but he hadn't played a lot. So we know like the offensive line is bad. The offense is going to be bad. That's there's no, you you might have a play here and there, but you cannot have, 
you know, a sustained gain. Um, and we've got great running backs coming back and we've got some talented wide receiver, but I just, you know, with the schedule Virginia has, um, you know, they don't have time to kind of ease in, you know, Tennessee on the road. I mean, <laughs> the defense is going, this is the thing that drives me crazy. I think this could be the best defense we've had in a decade plus, you know, assuming everyone stays healthy, everyone that said they're coming back comes back, you know, and there's still the potential that, you know, other players could join them um, or return. Not likely, but still a possibility. Charles Snowden so, still got eligibility or not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, certain, certain player. Um, not, don't think he is. Just like the, the in the realm of possibilities, it exists. So the defense could be very, very good. Um, and right now, the only way I can see Virginia win the games is if they're Iowa from last year. And we know the special teams weren't good enough to, you know, <laughs> to, to, to be Iowa. So, yeah, I don't see any way the offense makes a dramatic improvement. And not to mention what we've already discussed. You've got, you know, five offensive coaches. Two of them are going to be brand new to the staff. And, you know, none of them have coached together. So it it's a tall task. And, you know, offense is what the casual fan knows. You know, you, you've got to know football a lot, love football a lot to really care about defense. Luckily, I do. Um, maybe not know a lot, but I care about defense and the offense, you know, just imagine that first game against Tennessee, Tennessee is going to be, I know they're replacing their quarterback and all that jazz, but I expect they might score a few points. Um, (laughs) And then Virginia has got to come right back home and play James Madison, who will be replacing their quarterback as well. And obviously are new to FBS, but won eight games this year, I believe. Um, and have been circling this game, literally selling T-shirts for a year. So, Jenny's not going to have any time to kind of figure it out. They've got to figure it out this spring. And we got, we might not have a wide receiver coach by March 14th. So, <laughs> yeah, there, there's, I will a, say, there's a lot. I mean, I will sometimes – Ahead, let's sorry. toss this over. The, no, I was going to say, let's toss this over to Ferber because I do want to get his opinion on that question. No, I was just going to say, like, Dave, you kind of hit something, though, is like they've set the bar where they've set it based on like the expectations are what you just laid out because of the roster and, you know, like what we saw last year. Right. So, like, this is their chance to show us that we're our assumptions are wrong. Right. Like, if they're good yeah. at what they do, then they will be better than you just said. Right. Because they'll they'll figure out a way to get the best out of the offensive line that they have. And they like the development of the players that they've had, even though they switch offensive line coaches. And then it's like you you find a way to get the receivers to replace what you lost and you picked the right quarterback, a guy that they went out and like picked, you know, um, if all of that falls into place and they're much better on offense, then we can have a different conversation. Um, I will everything you crow. Yeah, everything I've seen, though, to this point has led me to believe that that is not going to take place. But we'll see how the preseason awesomeness disease medicine. You know, <laughs> and this but, is really I mean, going like, to challenge that this year. That's for sure. But I, but I think like going back to what I initially said, like, you know, where it point me to the successes that people are supposed to like be like, well, this is bad, but we have this other thing. It's like, all right, you know, recruiting hasn't been. I don't know how you want to describe it because, like, we don't really know until three, four years from now. Maybe these guys, again, a perfect example is recruiting. It's like you can look at these players and be like, hey, maybe they know something that everybody else doesn't. And we'll and we'll find that out over time. Or we're going to look back and be like, oh, we should have known better. They took a bunch of dudes that nobody else wanted. Like, well, you know, 
you know, and the, the is tricky that, part. Uh, like, am I missing something with that? No, like, no, no, you're not. You're not. No. The tricky part is, you know, to your point about like sort of like what is okay, let's 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 skip the next step and then go to the next one, which is if it's positive, how did they get there? I, I think the and the reason I asked that question is because I, I think the only way that you go from here to a good place and you know, everybody stays put is because they've they've gone out and given people they basically just answered the question the Ferber's trying to get to which is like what is the positive they're ha- they're going to have to develop it on the fly you know like it's going to have to happen and like look none of us regardless of you know we do a whole podcast every uh, August where we prognosticate um, none of us know you know we're not we're not soothsayers here right but it certainly if you does don't not believe look, him. Go back and listen to the one from last. Seriously, year. <laughs> it, it 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 does not it does not take a um, it does not take a significant level of foresight to you don't have to have like the blueprint in front of you to know like man this is not good this is not great and th- you know what the sad part is is that like <laughs> today's point like the defense is 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 already going to be really good if if Nick comes back. Man, it's it it's just ridiculous, right? So you're not even asking the offense to do but so much for them to have a chance to win some games, right? And yet, and yet even that is a is a like a bar too high to clear, you know? And so I feel like for and, and, a coach that won the Broyles award calling plays. And that's the thing and that is the thing <laughs> I think that's the hardest part of all this, right? Is that he's not a defensive coach and the defense is doing well. He's a dude who is an offensive coach. Now, I I do think, and for argument's sake, I just want to put this on the board here, but, like, his last year at Clemson did not go well. And if you look at the other folks in his tree, in, you know, that Dabo sort of tree, right, a lot of those dudes are not having a whole lot of success elsewhere either, (laughs) right? Um, And so I think it's fair to say, like, okay, is – is this a, it was that success a product of the scheme and of what they were doing or just the fact that they got just ridiculously good players because spoiler alert Trevor Lawrence ain't walking through the McHugh right like I'm sorry I don't that is no and if shade he is, intended. Travis Etienne's not holding his hand <laughs> fair um like I, I, I again no shade at anybody but like there's just a there was just an elite level of talent that that he coached for a number of years there um that I mean, one of us could have coached, you know. Like, you know, I could. I think there's there's one help Trevor I want to. There's one thing I want to add to that too, and I think it might be the biggest overall thing that they need to, like, show me that they have it right. Not just on the field, it's just organization. I think Clemson, in a lot of ways, was successful because Davo created an environment, a, a culture, a program where the the gears were all clicking into place. And the trains were on time and they had a cohesive strategy and they were able to, they did so much promoting from within. And now you're starting to see kind of the cracks of that where like they've had to make some changes because eventually you promote so many guys from within, it stops working. Um, you need some fresh ideas, but I think like that, that's why I think that's why there is a healthy amount of skepticism about like recruiting and like, are they going to turn the corner on the field on offense? Because a lot of the other stuff like has seemed kind of like all over the place in terms of organization. And we've commented on it. People, fans have commented on it. And if you have an unorganized organization, I mean, what did Bronco always say? Organizations get the results they're designed to get right. Like 
I think at a place like Virginia, you have to do, you know, do people, I think sometimes make more than needs to be made about the disadvantages that UVA has. Yes. But I think that at a place like UVA, you have to find advantages where you don't have them. You have to turn disadvantages into advantages and you have to maybe work a little harder and be innovative and push the limits. And I feel like this staff is like, we can just create Clemson 2.0 at Virginia and it's just yeah. not going to happen like that. Like you can't just be like, we're just going to be vanilla Clemson and like, just get the results. Cause it, it's not going to work. Yeah. Tony has never talked to me. A few guys. So, hold on one second. Tony's never yeah. talked to me specifically and said, here is what the model program looks like, but mm. it does kind of feel sometimes like what he, what the model, what, what the intent was is, you know, Clemson 2.0. I, I, I got to mention this. I think that from his first game, the way he and I'm I'm not gonna make a mountain out of a of a media molehill here, but I just think it, it does it does sort of shine a little bit of a light on sort of like the way he thinks of the whole deal. So every coach that has ever coached at UVA that I have covered, you know, all of them, like do the same thing, which is after the game you come in, you do your media thing. Um, sometimes you get the opposing coach, sometimes you just go straight to you know maybe get coordinators, and then you get some players, right? He did a whole thing where, like, he went in and he, like, changed clothes and the players came first, and but that's how Dabo did it, right? Okay. And then, like, as the season wore on, that stopped, right? Because clearly things were not, you know, it was, the, the train was not to Ferber's point on the track. It's one thing for you to have this, like, sort of, I don't know, grandiose idea for how you want to do your thing once you finally get your shot. I get that. He clearly understood that it was not going the way he wanted. And he changed this, but he didn't change a lot of things, right? And he didn't do, there are a lot of things that maybe, you know, if you were in that mindset, like, okay, I'll do this differently. And he didn't do, the, he didn't do those, but he did this one thing. I just, I don't know what to make of that. That has always been a thing that is like hung out on my radar, which is like, he clearly thought it was going to be one thing and it was another thing, you know? So anyway, all right, Dave, what was your question? You kind of hit on it. So, Look, you can say what you want about Bronco and his recruiting success, right? Um, you know, he uncovered some gems and he did a really good job at the transfer portal, but he never really, you know, signed four and five stars. Um, but you knew what his pitch was, right? So when Virginia started recruiting guys and you saw so-and-so tweet an offer, you could tell by who's offered him, like, oh, this might be someone that our pitch makes sense for. What is Tony Elliott's pitch? I think you kind of hit on it. We don't know what the model program is because I don't know that he knows, which is mind-boggling to me for a guy who for three or four years prior to finally taking the Virginia job was, was like mentioned for every for job this. in the country. Like, And maybe I, he I does know, know and we just haven't seen it come together yet. Yeah, and God knows we won't know by him like going out of his way to, to be active on social media and explain himself. Um, that's something Clemson does. I know Dabo doesn't do it that much. But Clemson has a whole like YouTube series following their team. I mean, if you want to do, don't do parts of Clemson, do it all if you're going to do Clemson. Um, but you know, so it's it's frustrating for me as a fan. And like I said, another example to me why them not being out in front more. You know, a 30 second video you post to Instagram, YouTube, whatever, goes a long way to kind of answering questions. Otherwise, that void gets filled. Um, by the people who you need to write checks to keep your program above, you know, on on 
or at least be quiet when you know like instead of complaining or whatever yeah exactly even if they even if they're right or in some cases or whatever but i mean i don't know if you've got a real clown show going on over there or everything's great because there's just a void so we have to fill it based on the information available and the information available right now is you know the the two guys that were left over from broncos you know tenure on the offense are gone so if you want to make an analogy you know, you, you, if, if Elliot had an excuse last year, it's maybe he regretted keeping 2J and, and Biscuit. Maybe he wanted to bring his own guys in. Um, well, you brought Insane. Des in. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm just trying to give, yeah, the guy I know. I'm just saying, away. like, if you want to have a model, you program at UVA and Marcus Higgins isn't part of it, then you've already screwed up. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, what I, I mean, mean, I'm just saying, like, like if, if that wasn't a reason, now yeah. you got a chance to fix it. So, you know, you've had time to do some grocery shopping. You can cook me a dish. Maybe you didn't buy enough to buy me a, make me a five course meal in one year, but I should at least know where it's headed a year from now. Um, and now you got time to pick all the chefs you want. So if you don't get the right ones, that's not on me, not on you. I mean, not on us fans. That's, that's on you because they left. And like, like I said, we're not going to speculate what happened behind the scenes, but I can tell you, like, if you go back and watch press conferences, what are the two positions that were blamed for every mistake on offense? I think the fact that and any where positions their were blamed is, is saying something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, All right, you let's, both... um, I was just going to say, let's, let's try to button this up um, with one more comment from all of us, and then we'll move to basketball for a few minutes. Um, Forever put together a pretty um, – Pretty nice. Oh yeah, they have to replace him. That's right. <laughs> list of yeah, I was gonna say we gotta. We yeah, gotta that's start fun with. to talk about. Yeah. Um, if you had to be a betting man on this specific topic, Ferber, let's start with you. Where do you think mm-hmm. they? Where do you think they go? Man, that's a tough question. Um, I kind of think like I'm not gonna use a name specifically, but I kind of think it's gonna be like the, a Heffernan sort of situation where it's gonna be like a coach from elsewhere to, okay. to coach receivers that's fair um i mean i kind of liked when i came across xavier die i was like man this makes perfect sense right but then i was like he just took a job at coastal i mean that it's not unheard of coaches do that sometimes where they'll take a job and then take a different job bobby vitrino just did it um but you know we'll see i think i think it'll be more of a conventional situation than some of the other things that i threw out there dave what about you so betting man, who the wide receiver coach is, mm-hmm. um, Keith Gaither. I, right, I think and who's the running backs coach. I don't know that yet, but I this is my theory on it. Um, Tony Elliott, coach wide receivers. We know he interjected a lot in the wide receiver coaching. Um, I think it's a position that means a lot to him. And Gaither, Gaither, that's what Gaither's history is in. Now Elliott has a year working with Keith Gaither. Obviously, he's still on staff, so they must get along. I think he moves Gaither to wide receiver coach, you know, because they have Mims as an analyst still. He can help a little bit, and then Tony will do his part there. And then running backs coach, you can either go one of two ways. You either hire someone to do the running backs, um, or you move Dez to running backs and hire someone to do the tight ends and maybe take special teams off Gaither's plate. So there's some options. I don't know who that guy would be, but I think wide receiver alone, I think it ends up being Gaither. I think I think I tend to agree more with Ferber, but you make an interesting point. Um, all right, let's talk basketball, <laughs> and that's You're it. Like, and that's it. That's all you get. All right, um, Cavaliers are coming off of a uh, 
like I said, uh, they were ahead by as many as 19, won 76-67 in Winston-Salem. In the in the Joel, as Ferber and I like to call it, um, I tried real hard not to call it the dash, I just, I, but I just love that. I don't know why. Cavaliers shoot 40% from the field, um, 44% from deep. Um, we're 13-17 to 17 at the line. Did turn it over seven times. Wake only had um, five points off of those seven turnovers, which you could make an argument that that was a pretty substantial development in the game. Um, 25 points for Cousin Armand here. Nine of 21 from the floor. Five of 13 from three. His first double-double in his career at 10 boards. A team high 10 boards. Um, Vanderplas plays 29 minutes. Only scored eight points. Um, Shedrick got three minutes. Um, had one assist. I'm otherwise had a trillion. Um, I, I, I feel like in some ways this is the kind of game that I didn't think UVA could play, which is things are going really well. Oh, crap, they're not going well. We still have to we have to gut this thing out on the road, right? Because that requires you to make some shots late, and I just didn't know if we could consistently count on them to do that, and they, they'd done that. Um, so credit to, to them for maybe going against – tendency a bit um this this winning streak obviously is a little bit different in the sense that they have they've done a nice job of handling their business but also doing it in a way that that there is consistency with right so along the way of this five game winning streak um you know they've they've been able to score they've been able to get stops when they needed stops um you know they've they've won in different ways but they've been consistent in the things that they, they desperately need to be consistent in. Dave, as you look at this team right now, going into this, you know, midweek, bye week situation, um, they get Boston College Saturday, then they go to Syracuse on Monday, and then they're at Tech next Saturday. What, other than, you know, um, the the usual of, you know, um, wanting them to be in a good spot going to Blacksburg, what, um, what's your general sense? Do you feel like this do you feel like they've really sort of come into their own a little bit or is this still uh, the work in progress? We've, we, we, you know, we've talked about some at, at several points this season. It's a, they're a typical Tony minute team, right? Um, they continue, you know, they, they get better. The deficiencies that you talk about disappear and then, you know, and then you have a new topic. That's just what Tony minute does. Um, you know, compare and contrast to our earlier, you know, conversation. We know what he believes in. And we see it replicated year after year, um, not only in the players he has, but, you know, the, the way the team improves, the the fundamentals they hold important, and, you know, the way they adapt to, to make the team the best version of themselves. Are, are they elite right now? No, but they're very, very good. They're much better than they were a month ago. Um, so, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I, you know, they've got this next three games. They can go two and one. Um they're still in a good position. They go three and zero, which is very possible. Uh, I think you know, I think Tech's playing better ball. Winning down there is going to be tough if you know they're playing well, but not it, not out of the realm of possibility. Virginia shoots the ball that Tech did against Wake. Syracuse is going to have a tough time beating them. Um, but you know, even two and one, which most Virginia fans will, will complain about, you know, they're still in a really good spot at this point in the season with the other results. So, you know, I think the only thing they've got to figure out. And I think the time is coming, you know, um, is it's kind of Shedrick's role on the team, how many minutes he has. And, um, 
you know, it kind of feels like BVP when he wasn't getting a lot of minutes. The, the time, I think the time is coming. You know, we've got Duke on the schedule. Um, there's some teams with bigs that Shedrick's going to have to play more. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why you can – you can pick nits, but they're pretty good compared to where they were a month ago. For I feel like, you know, today's point about the – the need for bigs like they are going to be in a spot at some point in the season where it's going to they're going to re- be required Caden's going to have to play and I'm um, giving some decent minutes I mean when they rematch Carolina I, I think Carolina is going to be a very different animal than the one we saw in Charlottesville right like um I mean look maybe the Nance kid gets hurt again uh maybe Bacon gets hurt again wow Brad out here wishing players to get hurt I'm, interesting that's, that, that, <laughs> I'm just kidding um but you know what I'm saying? Like it just feels like they're going to be several times down this, uh, you know, "quote unquote" stretch. If the stretch can be, you know, basically two months worth of games. Um, how you feeling? Go. How you feeling? Pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like my big thing. I think it was after the Miami game. I said like my my concern with this team was just the inability to remain consistent throughout a game and from one game to the next, and that kind of permeated down to like all the players, like it's not just the team. It's like every player was like up and down, up and down. And, and we've just seen more ups than downs lately. And, and they've been much more consistent. Um, you know, like you mentioned, they've been able to make shots when they needed them. They guys have the same guys have been sort of st- more steady. I feel like in their performances, BVP has been what they needed him to be off the bench. Like, I think he's probably, he's not the biggest reason that this team is where they are necessarily, but like, I think he is one of the bigger reasons that they've been better lately. Um, just because like his consistency allows you to, you just get, you know, that, that extra eight, 10 points a game and a few more made shots can make a big difference. And then also now you have the emergence of McNeely and Dunn, um, especially like McNeely on the offensive end of the court. I think he's, he's starting to give you more. And as they're getting more consistent contributions, even with like Shedrick's performance, kind of like not, he hasn't played as much, um, I think you're just seeing a more consistent team sort of come into focus and like what they want to do is becoming more clear. And um, they made some changes on the offensive end that I think have have benefited them. And um, they kind of found some lineups that work well together. And, you know, outside of some really wild foul trouble in the second half of that wake forest game, I mean, they've kind of had that group of five or six guys out there a lot or seven guys, I guess. Um, And yeah, I think that they're training in the right direction. You're right. They're going to need to have, um, some guys step up that maybe haven't been counted on as much in some of these games down the stretch. And if you look at their 11 games, I mean, they have, I think six of those are at home. Uh, they're going to be favored in almost all of them. I mean, if you look at the league right now, you know, they're that, that Carolina rematch is going to be tough and there's going to be some tough games down the, down the stretch of course, like traveling to Blacksburg, they could easily lose that game. And um you know, you have the Clemson game at the end of the year, but that's at home, you know, but, but ultimately I think the schedule is pretty navigable and um, if they can continue to play like they have played and just kind of take care of business against the teams that they should beat. um, Even if you drop a couple on the road here and there, I think you could still end up with a really nice league record. Yeah. For, for folks who, who, who are paying it, you know, we've talked to, we've, we've talked a lot. I feel like both on the site and on the show about sort of like, the ACC as a whole and what the um, sort of what the forecast looks like and um, in terms of like the leaders and the, and whatnot right now, UVA, at least according to Kim Palm statistically looks in a good spot to win every game. The only game where the Cavaliers currently 
are on the wrong side of things is at Carolina um, on February 25th. Otherwise, I mean, the whole thing looks um, And some of those are closer solid. to coin flips than others, obviously. Yeah, the Tech game is at 54%. Um, that's uh, the lowest one they've got. Um, the next Syracuse lowest is on Syracuse the road. at 64. Yeah. Everything else is 70 and up, um, which is pretty solid. I mean, uh, Louisville's right now sitting at 98% to end the season. Yeah. Um, it's crazy, like, how efficient those teams, some of the teams were, if you, like, the title team, a few yeah. of the other teams before that. Because, like, every game where they'd play, like, a like a BC would be, like, 98%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> they would just be 90% above, like, against, like, everybody. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, look, I, I feel like if you look at Clemson, um, which, you know, they're 9-1 in the league right now, but they – at least as of now, Kim Palm, Clemson. I mean, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess we we have talked a lot about Clemson tonight. Um, hey man, I, I don't make the stories; I just talk about them. The let's see. So at Carolina for them at uh, NC State, which is a very interesting uh, little um, that's statistical. At home, right? No, that that's away. That's Clemson at NC State. Oh, Clemson at NC. I yeah, yeah. You meant UVA playing. No, NC no, no, State. no. Sorry. So at Carolina for Clemson at NC State on the twenty fifth. We're um, Clemson podcast now, and then <laughs> and then at UVA is also a loss for Clemson. Give Brad Brownell his due. <laughs> yeah, what's funny though is that like I don't know what it is, but Kim Palm. I mean, the metrics really do not like Clemson. Yeah, right? I mean, look, it's because if you look at who they've beaten, it's not that impressive, and they yeah. have that loss to Loyola, and Loyola is like not the Loyola they've been. They two, like, they're, they're two forty two. That's true. They've yeah. lost to two two forty. They, they lost to them by twenty. Yeah, they got housed by Loyola, who is at 242 in Kempom. And then they also lost to South Carolina, which right. is 248 right now. But, yeah, right now Clemson's sitting at 58 in Kempom. And, like, um, who's their best win? I mean, I guess, like, Duke? Numbers-wise, yes. Duke currently at 30, 32. And, I mean, um, we both watched that. I mean, all three of us watched that Duke team a few times, I'm sure. Like, they ain't that good. Like, I will say this. The, like, the Filipowski kid is, is pretty yeah. good. But, like, this is not... I mean, they're not a vintage Duke team. They are like, not. I'm. Can I just? All right, listen. I didn't. I. I didn't tweet this because I didn't want to. But like, can we just talk about in a scenario where a dude straight up punched a Duke kid in the throat and nothing happened, and Coach K was on the sidelines, the entire world would just tremble. How do you on, feel about that? I think it was a terrible call. I, I'm sorry, but there's a lot of things that happen in the game of basketball, or I don't care, any whatever, where you didn't mean to do it, but you did exactly. it anyway. That's like, kind of my thing. You still punched the like, kid in the throat. Yeah. Like, like it would I'm suck sorry. for the kid that got called for it, but like the I, the definition of a flagrant one, unless I'm mistaken, is that it's a unintentional foul of a. Yeah, it's a non-basketball move. Excessive, right? It's, yeah. yeah, I mean, so if he look, had missed the shot and done that, it's a foul. It's a foul, right? Yeah. And like I understand, like you want to be whatever, but like the kid definitely he turned, and there was at least a brief second there where he could. And like what was really telling is he punched him, and he didn't like stop and go, "Oh snap!" He like just kept kind of running up the court, like, and I mean he straight up punched a dude in the throat. Like, I mean, and then, right like in last the night, did, did you guys watch the Syracuse Carolina game last night? Like, Mintz is going to the rim. I think it was Mintz. At the end of the game, and he like he got called for a charge, and in the charge, he like his elbow like going up to the rim like hit the player yeah. in the face and got charged flagrant with one the flagrant. Over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and certainly, like, and that's thing. a lot closer to like an accident, you know, kind of because there was no celebration piece than yeah. what the 
that kid did. But I mean, whatever. It, it, it doesn't really matter. No, but, well, but no, I think it could have. Like, I just want to know. It, it might have changed the game. <laughs> yeah, it might have changed the you game. Know? And I say this. I know as a tech fan, I don't want people to think we're biased. Like tech winning that game is better for Virginia. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. So like, I didn't really care. But yeah, Coach K would have. Blown Can you imagine the po- just a post game press conference alone? Just a oh, post game yeah. press conference. His team lost, and he got a guy who got hit in the throat. And do you want to do like an impression call. of what that? Yeah, if Grayson like? Allen had done that, he <laughs> yeah. no, Co- Coach K would have come down and he would have had his hands out to the sides and say, I-, "I don't know what you want me to do. I, I don't know." That is the that is the one thing that's kind of funny to me too is like the Duke people that are like Grayson Allen. You know, he's fine. Like whatever, it was an accident. Yeah, like, right. He didn't okay. mean to trip that dude for the thirty seventh time, right? <laughs> right? But Coach K would have come up there and been like, "I mean, what would he want? I mean, he punched him right in the cr- he, and he would have done that, and he would it would have been painful. He would have said it like seven times. Well, he wouldn't he punched have him to right talk in the throat. about it because they would have called it. He said, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. "That's very true." He he would have just sat there and been like, "He he punched him in the throat," and he would just waited several seconds and then said it again and said it again and said it again, and everybody in the room we would all been like, oh, "This is weird." Uh, I mean, like he. But, like, I'm sorry. I understand that it wasn't like this dude was trying to, like, decapitate Filipowski, right? But he just, he still hit him in the throat. Like, there, you know, I I mean, how many times have you watched a guy, like, go up and just do a thing and you're like, oh, snap, he didn't mean to do that. And, like, the kid just, like, you know, threw off his balance, landed on his back and, you know, whatever. Um, The only person in the ACC who gets less respect on the, from the refs, a contact of the above the shoulders is Caden Shedrick. <laughs> yeah, um, no joke. Because that dude has definitely gotten clocked in the face a couple times this year where you're like, oh, come on. Like, Evidently, those guys were celebrating too. <laughs> yeah, they, right. They were <laughs> celebrating too. Um, all right. Last question. Um, and then we'll, we'll wrap up for this week. Um, so obviously, it's a good thing that Virginia go, uh, gets Boston College at home this weekend as opposed to goes to, um, they will do Hill. that later. Yeah. Yes, you know, hopefully that's not the place where UVA season goes to die. Currently, currently they are losing to something called Louisville at home. At I'm shocked, so. shocked. They were down big and almost cut it to two at the buzzer or four yeah. at the buzzer. So yeah, yeah. amazing, amazing missed the buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right so they get up. so so they'll get Syracuse, they'll get Boston College, and then they go to Syracuse on Monday um, again. Quick get the, get the, the zone again before we record. Uh, what do we think the chances are that UVA comes back um, from that game? And we're on this podcast next week talking about a nine and two, seventeen and three Virginia. What do we think? Jump in whenever. Seventy-five percent. Yeah, seventy-five plus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they match up well with Syracuse. Like, it's just it is a road game. Like, you never know. And then you, I mean, obviously you're throwing a second game in there. You don't think Boston College is going to come down here and win, but you. You know, it's just one more weird thing that could happen. That's true. I'm going with a hundred percent. Wow. I I can't I can't I can't get and that's not, how I we'll know, open the podcast. And I'm not gonna I'm not you know why I didn't do hundred percent. You know why I didn't do a hundred because we had a week of practice. And usually like when we come back after that little Oh yeah, somebody sprung a giblet. Someone's yeah. got like a giblet <laughs> or or three fingers taped together on the shooting. <laughs> Somebody's in a walking boot on the way into the yeah. arena. That's true. And we know we got we got the kid from Georgetown out there trying to yeah, crossing everybody up. <laughs> you got Trout out there hurting Shedrick's feelings. So, um, you know, there's a lot of two weeks Can we just talk so. about though that like I, I just Ferber and I have this running joke. We talk about this pregame a lot. That like he, that one of these games, Tony's just gonna like in the middle of the season, just gonna throw some redshirt kid in there. Yeah. 
We'll be I watching like, like Leon Bond warm up, and we're like, tonight's the night. <laughs> tonight's the night. Tony's just going to do it. And let me yeah. just tell you what. If there's a single coach in all of college basketball who could withstand the wrath of fans, right? What if he What if he played Leon Bond? <laughs> I think they got like seven minutes, scored like three points, didn't do anything but, else. No, nah, he plays them when they're up 20 with like a minute to go. He puts them oh, in with like Tristan God. Howe. But then he comes into the post game. He's like, guys, you just understand. Like the kid has been great in practice, <laughs> and he really earned the opportunity. No, um, seriously though, if he ever does that, I, Ferber and I might legitimately pass out. Don't do you guys think before we go? Do you guys think it's weird that like in football you can have a four game redshirt rule, but then basketball you can't play at all? One hundred percent. Isn't that kind of weird? Yeah, one hundred percent. I don't understand why you couldn't play in like eight games or something. Maybe they'll change. Yeah, I mean, that I at mean, some point. and I haven't heard any like desire to change it because it's yeah, such a random anything about that virginia yeah, is like one of like three schools in the country nobody red shirts really so nobody's banging on the table for it i feel meanwhile like, in but... football they're talking about bowl games not counting so you know if you're a, if you use four games a bowl game wouldn't be your fifth well um, i mean even if you didn't want to come up with like a really like lenient version of the rule for basketball what if you just made it so it's like those like preseason tournament early season tournaments like you can use whoever you want and it doesn't count or like any non-conference game in the before January first or something like that. I don't know. I wonder if you could do them like player not to be named that you could just stick them in for a few plays and never a minute. <laughs> we don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's remember that school that did that. <laughs> um, anybody, I does, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't remember that at all. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, me neither. Um, um all right, let's uh let's and then they and then he he mysteriously changed his name. <laughs> yeah, and disappeared. <laughs> Oh God. Okay. If you're somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you're so inclined to give us an a rating or review, we very much appreciate it. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod, has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check out CavsCorner.com. Uh, we've got the aforementioned story on the various wide receiver uh, possibilities. There's recruiting stuff from both Houston and Griff. So definitely check that out. I want to thank My Perfect Franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find Freemium Next Venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. And, of course, I want to thank Dave and Ferber again graciously for their time. As always, I very much appreciate it. You guys didn't even mention that. I went back to the old school way of introducing you today. So, there you go. So, for uh, David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon. Hey.